and welcome again to Revive School. We are on Acts chapter 2. This is lesson 2. We've gone through the uh, Gospels earlier, but this is the continuation after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, it is kind of funny how these things work through. Kyle did the teaching yesterday in Acts chapter 1, and yet I believe has opened the door for us to really realize what this book of Acts is all about. I think in today's world, we are so worried about what we think and our ideas and our preferences, and yet I'd like to be one who shows you today that there is a bigger picture and a fuller story than what I think that we often imagine. As a teacher, um, I will tell you this, I'm, I'm not supposed to be a convincer, please understand that. But I believe any teacher is meant to do one thing, and that is to give you a wider perspective than what you came into the classroom with. And so in Revive School, what we're doing is we're expanding your understanding of what Scripture is bringing, how, how every book points to Jesus, and our life is by Him, through Him, so that we can live lives filled with the Spirit of God. And so today, we're going to jump in. And I realize that for, you know, the variations of church and all that kind of stuff, Acts 2 can get, oh my, you know, we are either here or there. Look, I'm just going to say it straight, Okay. I really don't care what we say. What does it say? And so if I'm willing to look at this scripture and say, here's what it says, because this is what I want to start with. If we go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm just going to read about six words. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. And this is funny to me, is because for us who, you know, I'm considered a charismatic, okay? So they would also call me a Pentecostal. But the truth is, Pentecost has been around for a couple thousand years. Many of us don't associate Pentecost with anything else. And let yet, if you're really going to be truthful about this, and I, I want to make, it's going to take a few minutes, but I want to make an analogy about this day. Because it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with, were all in one accord in one place. Leviticus 23, you don't, don't go there, don't go there because we're not going to read it word for word. I don't have time for it, but I will tell you this. Leviticus chapter 23 is the idea of what Pentecost is, but it was never called Pentecost. But if you're, if you're going to get familiar with scriptures, you're going to find that there were things in the Old Testament that are named differently in the New Testament simply because you're coming from a Hebrew and Aramaic text into now a Greek transition of these things. And so as you look at what Pentecost is, um, guys in, in the, our, our tech guys are right here with microphones. What does Pentecost mean? 50 days. 50 days. Wow, 50 days. And yet, here's what we don't understand many times. There was a feast that was not called Pentecost, and yet it was Pentecost from Leviticus chapter 23, and it is the feast of first fruits. And the idea, and this, this is huge. Please understand it. If you're worried about me getting worked up, this will work me up because I, I will tell you how this is going to play out. Okay. Uh, here's the million dollar question, guys. What was the Feast of First Fruits all about? Uh, it was harvest. Harvest. Imagine that it was all about the harvest. And yet, I'm going to ask you this. Why 
when you're just growing fruits and vegetables and those things, would it be so important to recognize first fruits and then full harvest? And you look at that and you're going, wow, okay. So we've got to go through this thing when I can, when I, and, and this is the short version of Leviticus 23. When you have the first fruits of your harvest, that's what would happen. You would, you would gather a first fruits of your harvest that was coming. And then you would take it to the priest. And on the day after the Sabbath, Sabbath being, you know, not Sunday for them. Please understand. Sunday was the first day of the week. So it was the day after the Sabbath that he would actually wave the offering of first fruits. Okay. Then you would count from there seven Sabbaths. So you would actually have seven full weeks and a day. So seven full weeks and a day, add those together. What do we come up with? 50 days. 50 days. So here's, here's what I want you to understand. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that would mean that the day of the Pentecost, which would mean the full harvest, the end of the feast, the 50 day, you have this understanding that there's this going on. And so here's what I want you to understand, because you see, this, this is my way of thinking about things. We as humans, we always look back at everything. But God doesn't. He always looks forward. Why? Because scripture even says that he knows the end from the beginning. And so he is always planning and always setting the stage and always making a new set and always working these things so that when we come into it, we'll be awed at who he is and what he does. So if the, if this 50 days was all about the harvest and yet what happened 50 days before Pentecost? Crucifixion. Uh, three days later, actually. Resurrection. Resurrection. And why is that important? Let me just tell you. What happened on the first day of this feast? It was that the priest would actually do a wave offering of the first fruits. And here's Jesus alive from the dead, waving in the face of death and saying, guess what? The first of the harvest has come. And now there's going to be a massive harvest that's going to come because I am the first fruits. And here we go into the idea then of what the Feast of Pentecost is all about. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, here you are 50 days later after the resurrection, which is the day after the Sabbath, the wave offering. You're coming in through seven Sabbaths and now you're on the day of Pentecost, which is to be the day of a full sacrifice. And everybody has to come to this day of the feast. That's going to be a key part in this thing. And so when we go on with this, these verses then, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And this was that upper room. And that we have that idea that this is the day of the full celebration of the harvest. Okay. We actually would also call this day then the birth of the church. And nobody has any problem calling it that. And yet that's the idea that is actually formed here that we've gone from one waving of first fruits into a full harvest to where the church gets birthed here. And so as we look at this, I would like to go um, to a couple passages of scripture. One that Kyle mentioned yesterday, Acts chapter one, verse four. 
And it says this, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith ye have heard of me. What do I want to bring out of this? This isn't somebody's good idea. This is the promise of the Father. When it says promise of the Father, what does that say? Part of the plan. Always looking forward, not us looking backward to say, what do we think of that? But always looking forward to say, this is what I am doing now. Go to the next one, which is John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. And we're going to read three verses here. And this again, Jesus um, speaking says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter, one who comes alongside, paracleto, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is the promise of the Father, the spirit of truth, that is with us and shall be in us. Then one other passage, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And in, in this passage, again, Jesus is speaking and say, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, I'm going to make some statements in a little bit about this, but I want you to remember some of these words that are in here. Three times, it's the promise of the Father. The reason I like that is because this isn't Jesus' idea. This isn't something that just happened to happen to happen on a day. This is the plan. And so here's what I want to ask you about Pentecost. Was Pentecost ever about the harvest in the Old Testament? Or was the plan all along that there would be a wave offering on a day of resurrection and a full harvest message that comes out 50 days later and a calling it Pentecost? Because in that sense, when we are Pentecostal, that would mean that we believe that this is the real understanding of Pentecost. But if we're just going to first fruits, then we've got the Old Testament and yeah, that's what it is. And this just happened to happen on the day of Pentecost, which was the full harvest. I, I don't believe that. I believe that this was the plan of God looking forward and saying, you guys get this right now because you've got a first fruits and you've got a harvest. But what I'm going to show you later is going to blow your doors off because I'm going to wave my own first fruits as your high priest. And then I'm going to blow it into a full harvest for my favorite possession. And that's the souls of the earth. And as we look at this in that kind of uh, understanding, I think it changes all kinds of issues for us. So let's go on into verse two, because it says this, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to say that there were approximately 120 people in this house, and they had been there 10 days earlier. Jesus had ascended into heaven. They, all he told them was to stay in Jerusalem, 
that there would be power coming from on high. I believe you've read that in Acts. And you would say, okay, how is power coming from on high? How about it sounds like, and in, in, if, if you want to look up these words in your Greek concordance, you're going to find that this rushing mighty wind would be something that sounds like a violent tornado or a hurricane. It, it brings up the idea of a violent wind that started that is so loud that you can hear it moving. And so that's what is indicated here when it says that it was a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Let's go to verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we have a number of things that I, I want to bring out for us. We are saying that in Acts, the book of Acts, our word for Jesus in the book of Acts is authority because he is the one that has opened up the door and has given authority so that we could be witnesses of him everywhere we go. And so as we walk through these these next verses and, and, and look at this, I want you to understand, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. They were all filled. On the previous verse, it says that there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each of them. What I get out of that is this. When, when do you remember fire being with somebody before, you know, you, 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 I hope you're thinking about the children of Israel as they pass through the wilderness and every day there's a cloud by day and a fire by night. And the reason that they knew where they were to go and when they were to stop and where they were to move was because the cloud moved and the fire moved. And this was the direction. And that was for a people group. Now we come into the New Testament and what happens is it becomes individual because the Spirit now works individually within each person. And this represents that authority now is given individually and not in a large mass group of we all do this. It's individually walking out the powerful presence of God and saying, this is the authority that he has given me and I now walk in his divine authority. So we're going to go into another section here. But I, I, before we do that, I want to have you go to three places. If you would, go to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. In Isaiah 28, God is saying that there's a people who have rejected me and there's things going on in them. And you know what? In a sense, I'm going to start again. And then he says this, and, and, and please check it for context when you're there. We don't have time to go into all these places. But I invite you to check it for these things. And it says, who's going to be a witness to them in, in, in an essence before this verse? And then it says, for with stammering lips and another tongue, will he now speak to his people? I believe he's prophesying Pentecost. When, when you're when you're looking, uh, go to Matthew chapter three and verse eleven. This is John the Baptist before Jesus is on the scene and he's preaching to the people. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, I, I don't know. How did John the Baptist get that? He speaks under the authority 
of the Holy Spirit, because it says that the Holy Spirit was with him from the time he was in the womb. And that's why when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came into the room, the babe leaped in in Elizabeth's womb at the sound of the mother of the Savior. These are kinds of things you look at and you're going, you write stories about this. You write books about this stuff. And yet this is the reality of the gospel. And if we believe it, then we're going to walk it. If we disbelieve it, then we become in other places and ineffective. And so I'm going to talk about those who want to be the witnesses of Christ. One more passage uh, is Mark 16, 17. Mark 16, 17 is what we call the end of the Great Commission. And it says, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. And the next verse says, They will lay, they will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These signs shall follow them that believe. Look, I'm not, um, you, you heard from Kyle yesterday. He is so theologically trained. He's been to all the schools. I am on the complete other end of the spectrum. I have never been to seminary. I say it just right out there. But I have been a student of the word. And what I know is this, that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, you don't have to have somebody teach you. You've known the Holy Scripture from a child, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So I'm not trying to say one is in deference to another or anything like that. What I am saying is on both ends of the spectrum, we should come to the same conclusions because we're both students of the word of God. And there should be one essence that we're going after. And it's not about what I think about it. It's what did he say and what were the things that were brought to us so that we could do what he told us to do. That's where I live. I'm going to be the most simplistic person coming to scripture and say, this is what he said. What am I going to do with it? So when, when we get done with those verses in verses three and four, we're going to go to verse five and it says this, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Okay. So stop for a second. You just got to get this. Why were there Jews from every nation under heaven in dwelling in Jerusalem? They had to come to Pentecost. I wonder if God knew that. Here's the one who told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to every tribe, to every language and all this. And here he starts them out by bringing them all here so that they would see the miracle of what happens by the power of God. And so it goes on to say in verse 6, Now, when this was noised abroad... The multitude came together and were confounded that because every man heard them speak in his own language. Now, please, you just got to bear with me. I'm going to call attention to the practical, not to the charismatic ideas and ears. When this was noised abroad, I don't care how fast your phone trees work and how fast your Facebook is. By the time that the word gets out that there's people speaking in other languages and that fire was on their head... It takes a while to get people around. They're coming from all over and especially the multitude that comes together. And it says from every nation. Let's go on through these verses because I, I want to bring some attention to some other parts. And for the sake of time, we got to keep going. Verse seven. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? 
Pay attention to that verse. How do we hear every man in our language? And go on to the next. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, in Pontus, in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyprus. These were well-known guys that could speak all these languages. And strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our language, the tongues, the wonderful works of God. Now, for some people, this is really hard to take and to move about in. It doesn't say, if you're going to get real crazy about this, it says they're speaking, and what they do is they actually hear them in their own tongue. Now, I, I, I want to say this simply because we stumble over a lot of things in the New Testament, and most of the things we stumble about is because of what we've been taught. We are so careful to hear teachers, and we're not very careful about being students of the Word. And when we're going to get our theology straight, we need to make sure that everything we're taught is straight from the text. And that's why it is so important for us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. How? Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's valuable. It's priority. It's paramount. And every part of what we're saying here is out of scriptures. How do we hear every man speaking in our language? And it says that they were all amazed, saying together, one to another, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then you've got the other crowd. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. That didn't take Peter long. Why? Because Peter was actually filled and overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit at this time. And he said, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, you men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing is but the third hour. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Did I go to Joel? I didn't go to Joel yet, did I? No. Because you see, if he says this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, then he's the one that's going to say either he is speaking by the power of the Spirit of God and saying truth, or it's not. But you know that he's going to quote Joel right now, so I didn't have to go there. Let's go on. Here's what Joel says. Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Notice the last days. Saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, for they shall prophesy. Here's what I, I, I want to stop for one second and just bring a thought from yesterday. Who was, uh, this is one for you guys now, um, who was the book of Luke and the book of Acts written to? Theophilus. Theophilus. Do you know that there are many people who don't believe that Theophilus was actually a real person? Because his name, Theos, is God. Theophilus, it comes from philos, which is the word love. And so the books are written to the lovers of God. And so who under the inspiration of God could ever say, did Theophilus, look, I don't know if he did or not, but I do know this, it was also written to me because I am a Theophilus. 
Look, I know that there's much division in the church about this, but I believe it's time to reinvestigate to say, what does it say? How does it work? Because we're going to go further. I'm not going to go all the way through this and because of, of the sake of time here. But I, I do want to point out one thing. And look, I know this is controversial to people, but it's the word of God. In John chapter 20, verse 22. This is the day of the resurrection. That Jesus appeared unto the eleven and he said, peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The cross-reference of this verse in Luke, and I don't have it in front of me, Kevin might be able to find it, but it says this, on that exact same day, it says he appeared unto them, he said, peace be unto you, and yet in that understanding, it, with, with, um, with the other passage, it says, then opened he their understanding that they could understand the scriptures. I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit that on the inside of you, which is what I call the endowment, is the one who becomes the divine interpreter. But when it says that you will be endued with power, then that becomes the employment because endued doesn't mean that you will be filled up. It means that you will be clothed upon. If you look it up and the word is there, it means that you will be clothed upon. So we have the spirit within and we have the spirit upon. And when the spirit upon comes on, it moves you into something that was not natural to you. Look in the Old Testament when all they had was the ability at certain times to have the spirit come upon someone. And when it did, even... King Saul, right when he was becoming king, it says it turned him into another man when the Spirit of God, when Samson was a judge and the Spirit of God would come upon him, he would have supernatural strength. And we look at this and you're going, wow, there's the Spirit coming upon and it gives us the feet to be witnesses because the authority of Christ has been given out individually and we are now walking it out. That's what this is all about. He wants the harvest. He wants the full harvest. He became the first fruits so that he could have a full harvest. And he said, and I give you the ability to become harvesters. And I'm giving you sickles so that you can go into the harvest field and be my harvesters. And that's why we're empowered. One more thing that I want to say, and then I'm going to have to quit. This is too good, but I've got a timer. Right after the passage, and go to verse 19 if you would. It says this, and this is some more controversy for the church. But looks what he says, because he ties this right in. And he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. He just went from the beginning, the day of Pentecost, into the very last days of the existence of this earth the way it's going to be. This is why, why would that be in there? Why would that say that at this time if there wasn't going to be this work of the Holy Spirit that came and it's going to be in you and with you all the way through until the great and terrible day of the Lord come? This is the, the work that I, I'm just looking at and saying, is that what it says? There is so much in this passage. I challenge you, study it for yourself. Study it. 
Look up the passages that we've even quoted. Look up Kyle's teaching yesterday. Look at all the things that God has put in front of us and say, what do I believe that Jesus has intended? What was the promise of the Father? What's the plan of God? And how am I incorporating into it? And I will tell you this, this painting will give you pretty much everything you need to know. Are my feet walking? That's all the time we have for today. God bless you, and we'll look for another day tomorrow.